chapter 20. And um, last week we studied in chapter 19 about the uh, end of the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon where uh, the dragon comes, the devil comes, and he uh, gets all the armies of the earth together. <coughs> and Christ comes in what's known as the second coming. Um, he uh, sets His foot down on the earth and He conquers these armies by the word of His mouth. Uh, he has a great sword coming from His mouth and uh, He defeats them according to Isaiah. The Bible says by the word of His mouth. And um, uh, so we find that uh, after the tribulation period is over, uh, there are some that are still saved through the tribulation period that will survive, that will be ushered into the millennial reign. They'll still be uh, in their, um, uh, their physical bodies, and uh, they will be those that have trusted Christ as their Savior that were not martyred. They were able to escape uh, the martyrdom uh, that was going on during that time. Uh, the, uh, those that are unsaved uh, will be gathered together during that time of uh, Armageddon, and they will be um, uh, destroyed during that period of time. That brings us to chapter 20, and uh, as we get to verse number 1, the Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. In verse number 2, uh, there are four names that are given uh, to uh, Satan himself. And uh, let's see if I can get to, to where I need to be in my notes so I can get to you here. Uh, the first one we find is uh, the dragon. And this deals with uh, his fierceness, the, the volatility, the violence that he brings. The serpent uh, is uh, mentioned here in verse 2, and it's all referring to the same person. And this uh, is in reference to his subtleness, his deceit. And we, we've seen that ever since... Uh, the Garden of Eden, how tricky he is, how subtle he is, and how deceitful he is. He's referred to as the devil, uh, and this kind of uh, emphasizes his uh, uh, the fact that he's an adversary. Uh, he's a roaring lion walking to and fro. He's trying to destroy. He's not trying to harm us. He's trying to destroy us as Christians. It's his desire to be the accuser of the brethren, to do everything he can to wreck and ruin the lives of Christians. If you ever start serving the Lord full-time, or you start uh, getting to a place in your Christian life where you say, I want to commit myself to share the gospel with people, and you start doing a work for the Lord, and some of you that are there and you've been doing it for years now, and you can attest to this, that when that decision takes place, when we yield ourselves to be servants of the Lord, it's not very long before the, the, the devils that Satan has and those that work with him begin to target us. And I remember there was a fellow when I was a teenager came to work uh, at our church. He's a good fellow, good dear friend of mine to this day. Still, if I called him up today and I needed anything, he'd be on my doorstep. He's a good Christian man, serves in his church, um, loves the Lord. But uh, he came on staff for a while as an assistant pastor at our church when I was a teenager. And uh, he served for about four or five years. And uh, finally he resigned and he said, he, he said, he went to my dad. He said, Pastor, he said, I didn't have this many problems when I worked in the world. My dad said, well, I wouldn't expect that you would. Satan didn't really care for it back when you worked in the world. But now that you're working for the Lord and you're serving Him, He's got a giant target on your back. And, uh, and uh, he understood that. 
And fortunately, he's still serving as a layman in the church. He is working a secular job, but he stayed faithful. He's still a soul winner, and I praise the Lord for that. But uh, rest assured that when you're doing a work for the Lord, uh, we studied last week in the uh, Beatitudes, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, where does that come from? That comes from the devil. He's adversarial. He's trying to do everything he can to destroy us. He accuses us before the brethren. He accuses us before uh, Christ. Uh, it's amazing to me, as I've been in ministry now for many years, I saw it as a child growing up in my, in my mom and dad, and then as I got into ministry, experienced it firsthand. It's amazing how many times Christians are sometimes the most vicious at accusing other brethren. And uh, Satan is the one that's behind that. He's the one that, that stirs the pot. He loves nothing better than to create the problem and stir it up and then stand back gleefully and watch Christians begin to tear into each other. Uh, that's why the Bible, I think, over and over again talks about the fact that we're to be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That means we're going to do things wrong. We're going to do things that are offensive to each other. But Jesus tells us when those times come, we need to be tender-hearted and forgiving of those things. We need to be in a spirit of meekness, uh, restoring one another and helping one another. You realize we're all trying to get to to the place of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. We're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has anybody here arrived there yet? You've, you've finally reached that destination? No? Nobody yet? So that means that we're still making some mistakes along the way, aren't we? All of us are. Any of you think it would be helpful if, if somebody just came along and tried to help you along the way a little bit? I mean, offer a word of encouragement. Let you know they're praying for you. Absolutely. Do you think it helps when somebody comes and just sits there and criticizes you for your failures? Do you think that helps you get any better? No. If it doesn't, then let's keep that in mind and edify one another. Let's try to encourage one another. None of us have reached the point that we need to be. There are some further along than others, and I understand that. Not everybody's at the same place. But let's, let's help each other out. And I don't care if you're a mature Christian or a brand new Christian. Take it as your ministry, your goal, to edify one another, to help one another. Because Satan is going to be... You know, the Paul, Paul, Paul rebuked some Christians. He said, listen, y'all are going to law with each other. There's a fault in that. He said, the, the, world's, the world's bad enough at accusing us. We don't need Christians going to law against Christians and, and uh, taking out their vengeance with each other. Satan hates us enough. He's going to do enough to discourage. We don't need the brethren doing it too. And uh, so he's referred to here as the devil, this adversarial one, this one that's out to get us. He's one that's trying to destroy us. And then he's referred to as Satan. Satan uh, talks about his position, um, the fact that he is uh, the uh, one that is the, the prince and the power of the air, the ruler of darkness, uh, the fact that he has that dominion over the fallen angels and that which is darkness and evil. Um, Sad to say, we live in a day where people worship that and they desire that darkness. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, you never heard much about devil worship or the occult or witchcraft. Now it is celebrated here in what we refer to as the Christian country of the United States of America. There are times that they have festivals. There are times they have gatherings. And uh, we're getting, they're getting ready to celebrate here in a couple nights. And you say, oh, it's just innocent fun. Uh, there's a lot more to it than you think. 
And uh, I, my personal opinion on this and my personal belief, and I believe this from Scripture, is a Christian shouldn't have any part of it. Uh, enough said on that. I don't want to meddle and get on my soapbox here for a little bit. Uh, let's go to verse number 3. Uh, well, first, verse number 2. And he laid hold of the dragon. Who's he? Anybody know who he's referred to here? Verse number 2. And he laid hold on the dragon. Anybody know? Was it God? Huh? No, wasn't God. Who was it? An angel, okay? An angel. Uh, so Satan is not the evil opposite of God. It doesn't take God to do this. God doesn't have to amass the, the host of heaven to help him win the battle. He can appoint one of his angels to go and take care of Satan. Hey, why don't you run over there and take him and bind him and put him in the bottomless pit? Understand this, that at any time, God has the ability to end the rule of evil of Satan. He can do it at any time. The angel comes, and the Bible says in verse 2, He laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, talks about a great chain here. It could be a literal chain. I don't know about that, uh, if it is for sure or not. There's no reason to think that it's not that, but I do want to offer another alternative. That uh, there are two places in Scripture, in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4, and in Jude verse number 6, both of them refer to a phrase called the chains of darkness. And so it could have to do with he's bound by, the, by his own evilness, his own oppressiveness. Um, and these, this is what that, that's binding, it's the cause of what's brought him into this, this position. If it's iron chains, that's fine, and, and I, don't, I think when we get to heaven we'll see that for sure. There is the possibility, though, that it is a symbolic phrase of uh, the darkness that he has sown all these years. Those are the things that are binding him now and causing him to be constrained to this place uh, called the bottomless pit. Notice it says, "...and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled." And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this so we can understand it. Because Satan is not going to be here to deceive the nations anymore, does not mean that there will not be sin during the, the millennial reign. Uh, but the sin that will be uh, in the millennial reign will be judged with the rod of iron, the Bible says. Uh, there is still going to be sin because you have... Humans that have come through the tribulation and survived into the millennial reign, and they are still in their sinful nature. Uh, they've not gotten their glorified bodies yet. They are still in that sinful nature. Um, there is also going to be a lot of people born during the millennial reign. Uh, let's take a look at a couple of things here. There are, are seven things that kind of characterize the millennial time of this thousand-year reign. And let's, I'm going to go through them, and we're going to look at some passages. So keep your Bible saying we've got a lot of Scripture to go through. And I can already tell you we're only going to make it probably through half of this lesson tonight. Um, so don't, don't get nervous because I know it's like eight minutes till, and I've got a long way to go yet. So we'll knock off about 8, 8.05 somewhere in there and finish next week. But there's a couple of things that I think are very, very important for us to understand from Scripture that we may or may not always think about when it comes to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, there's going to be a huge increase in population. Um, there's going to be, uh, when the wars and, and, and uh, things that would take the lives of people are going to, they're going to cease to exist. There are not going to be any wars during this thousand years. 
um, you're going to have uh, the life is going to be lengthened. Their lifespans are going to be lengthened. Um, and because of that, there's going to be a vast increase of the human race. One of the reasons that we know this is that at the end of the uh, millennial reign, Satan is loosed for a short period of time. And he again begins to deceive people. And he comes this time with probably the greatest deceit and the greatest ability to deceive people that we've seen yet in Scripture. Because in just what the Bible refers to as a, a little while, a short time, he uh, causes people from all four corners of the earth to come and to rebel against God one more time under the leadership of two characters, Gog and Magog. Uh, and the Bible says, and we'll look at it here if we get to the verses in time. If not, we'll look at it next week and study that part a little bit more. But the Bible says that this group that's going to be amassed at the end of the millennial reign are going to be like the sands of the sea in number. We're talking about massive multitudes, larger, I believe, than probably even the Battle of Armageddon is going to be. Uh, so you figure for a thousand years, life is extended. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been changed during the millennial reign, and people are going to be born, uh, and there's going to be a population explosion, if you will. And every one of those that are born have to be given the same opportunity that you and I were given, and that is the choice. Which is why Satan has to be uh, loosed for a short while at the end of the millennial reign to give those people a choice. And they're either going to choose to follow after Satan or they're going to choose to follow after Christ. Um, and so we find that for this thousand years, there's going to be a huge population increase. The, the knowledge of folks, there's going to be a knowledge explosion. Uh, hold your place here. We're going to look at several things. But look in Daniel chapter number 12, and Daniel speaks about this. Daniel chapter number 12, and let's look in verse number 4. Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 4. This is dealing now with the end times, uh, the end of the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennial period. If you'll read verse number uh, 2, we'll start in verse number 2 and work our way down. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there's going to be two resurrections. We'll talk about that next Wednesday night. There's going to be a resurrection uh, at the end of the tribulation period, coming into the millennial period of uh, those that uh, are saved, those that were martyred during the tribulation period, and they're going to be able to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. So at this point, you have all of those that have died before the tribulation uh, that were raised during the rapture, so they're alive. All of those that were alive and remained are alive. All of those that were trusting Christ during the millennial reign are alive that made it through. And then all of those that died during the millennial reign uh, by way of persecution and martyrdom are resurrected, uh, or during the tribulation period, are resurrected for the millennial reign. So at this point, the beginning of the millennium, all of those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout history are alive. They're not, they're not dead. So that's the first resurrection that will happen at the beginning of the millennial reign, is the resurrection of those that were martyred. We'll see in just a little bit, if we get there tonight, if not, we'll see it next week that those that died without the Lord are not resurrected at this time. In fact, it says that they won't be resurrected till the end of the millennial reign. 
And there's a reason for that as we uh, look into it at the great white throne judgment. And again, we'll probably study that next time. So Daniel 12 and verse number 2 is dealing with both of those resurrections. So let's look at it again. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now Daniel kind of lumps them both into one verse, but those two resurrections are actually separated by a thousand years. One of them at the beginning of the millennium, one of them at the end or towards the end of the millennial reign. Verse number 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. And notice, I want you to see this phrase, And knowledge shall be increased. So one of the big things that is going to happen during the time of the millennial reign is the knowledge of men is going to increase. Uh, I believe that technological things and things that are knowledgeable today are going to just begin to explode and you're going to see even further discoveries and things of God's creation that man has never even thought of before. Uh, And uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, knowledge that's gained. Uh, The third thing that we're going to see regarding the millennial reign is uh, that there is going to be a universal spreading of truth during the entirety of that thousand years. Um, understand this, that there will be one government, and it's known as a theocracy. Theo meaning God, and ocracy meaning rule by. He will be ruled, we will be ruled by God. His law is going to be the government. It is the law of the land. He rules with a rod of iron, and when sin happens, it's judged right away. Uh, he is a, theo- a theocratic ruler at this point. Uh, so during this thousand years, uh, you're going to see widespread revival services and preaching of the Word, and God's truth is going to be spread during this thousand years uh, like wildfire. It's just going to go everywhere. Look with me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter number 11, and we'll see uh, where the Bible talks about that. Uh, Isaiah chapter number 11, and uh, let's look in verse number 9. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 9. I don't know about you, I, as I was getting these notes together for about the millennium, I started studying these things, I was getting excited again about, boy, that's going to be an amazing time, if you can imagine. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 9, uh, the Bible says, uh, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So uh, you, won't, you won't go out here and knock on a door somewhere and somebody be an atheist or an agnostic. Uh, everybody's going to know uh, the truth of God's Word. It's going to spread all over the world. Look also in Isaiah chapter 25. We'll see another reference of that that Isaiah makes. Isaiah chapter 25. And uh, let's look in verse number 7. Isaiah 25, verse 7. And he will destroy in the mountain the face of the coverings uh, of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Uh, he shall swallow up death and victory, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from off their faces, and the rebuke of His people shall He take away from off of all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And I think I got the wrong verses further down. Uh, uh, I wrote the passage, and I didn't write the right verse. Anyway, it's in that chapter there. You'll have to, you have to read it and find it. But again, dealing with the knowledge that's going to be there, uh, and I think it's referring to the veil that's going to be removed. Uh, then we find that the, the fourth thing that's going to happen, 
uh, during the millennial reign, is that there will be universal, um, I don't want to say subjection, because subjection gives the idea of God's iron fist bringing them to their knees. But I would say universal submission to the rule of Christ. Uh, Are there going to be some that have to be subjugated? Probably some. Because there is still sin. But I believe that the, the Bible teaches quite clearly that there's going to be a desire for God's rule uh, during this millennial reign. Uh, we won't be in a world today where there's the woke crowd. You just won't have that. If, if You know, the, the, we may redefine the term woke to be those that woke up to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and decided that's who we want to follow. So maybe we will use that term in the millennial reign. It just means something different then. But uh, they're, going to, uh, they're going to surrender their will, their hearts, to the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not, going to give you all the, I'm not going to read all the passages, but I'm going to give you several of them. There's quite a few of these that deal with the fact that in the end time, uh, in that millennial reign, that we will be sur- uh, surrendered and um, yielded to His rule. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, uh, or actually, the, yeah, the second Psalm, verse number 7. Psalm 22, verses 27 to 29. Psalm 22, verses 27 to 29. Uh, and then Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Let's take a look at that one since we're already in Isaiah. We'll go ahead and look at that one. Isaiah chapter 2 and uh, verse number 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's going to be the desire of people. Uh, we're going to go over to our neighbor's house. Instead of saying, hey, you want to go fishing? We're going to say, hey, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord and listen to His truth. And we're going to be excited to do that. We're going to say, wait a minute, let me go get my pop-up chair. We're going to go and sit and just listen to Him just teach His truth. There's going to be a desire for it. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I was talking to uh, a young man, a young man, this uh, about uh, five days ago, six days ago, and I uh, was talking about uh, the end times and, and the Lord coming back and trying to share the, the gospel with him a little bit about some things. And uh, he was talking about things he loved to do. And I said, you know, when we get to heaven one day, uh, there's going to be uh, we're going to want to do the things that the Bible talks about. That we we look at them now and we think. Won't we get tired of that at some point? I mean, uh, you think about it right now. If we were to go in our human bodies with, with what we have today and the mind that we have today, to think about the fact that we're going to spend not just uh, a week or a month or a year, but eternity worshiping and praising God for who He is and sitting at His feet and just absorbing truth from Him. We're going to spend our time doing that. That's what we're going to like to do. We think of that in our human bodies, and as much as we like to say piously, oh, no, Brother Greg, I would love doing that. You know as well as I do, after about a week, you'd be saying, man, can't we do something else now? This is getting kind of tiring. God is going to change the things that we love to do. When we get our glorified bodies, the things that we enjoy in this life are not even going to come close to the joy we're going to find and coming to the mountain of God, the, the hill of God, and sitting at His feet and listening to His truth 
Isn't that going to be an exciting time? I mean, we may think of it now and say, well, that just doesn't sound like fun to do for a, a millennia, you know. It is. It's going to be the joy of our hearts. And uh, I don't know about y'all, but that's going to be a pretty exciting time. Uh, Isaiah chapter 66, 23, a uh, couple of references in Zechariah. I'll give you these notes if you want to. Matthew, uh, we'll come back and look at some more of these next week. And uh, also another reference in the uh, Revelation. Dealing with the, the heart of people wanting uh, to have the rule of Christ in their life. Uh, there's going to be a period of universal peace. Uh, you're not going to have wars. You're not going to have rumors of wars. You're not going to have nation against nation. Uh, everybody's going to be in subjection. Because the Prince of Peace, that's who he's referred to as, that was one of the names that he was given, the Prince of Peace, is going to be the one that's ruling the nations. And he's going to let us rule and reign with him in areas of judgment. But he's the one that's the ruler of the nations. And His truth is what He will judge by. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am ready to see the world follow after God's way of doing things. Uh, can you imagine what a world like that would be like? I mean, it'd be perfect. It's the only word I know to use. It'd be perfect. And uh, boy, it'd be a great time. Uh, number six, uh, Israel and the Jews, they're going to be brought to the knowledge of the truth in realizing and understanding that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. They are going to know that during the millennial reign. There's not going to be any doubt about it. They're going to rejoice in Him as their Messiah, and they will know that. Those uh, Israelites, those Jews that were saved and are brought into the millennial kingdom uh, will be during that time period uh, understanding of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You won't find a Jew during that time that rejects Him as the Messiah. They all know that He will be. And then lastly, uh, and I've got some references for that. Again, we'll look at these last few next week again because I've kind of rushed through them here. There will be sin, uh, but God will be ruling it and putting it down with a rod of iron. So sin will not be the prominent thing during the millennial reign. Uh, you won't have liberal district attorneys that are doing no-cash bail and sending murderers back out onto the street. Uh, you're going to find a God that's going to put these things down. And uh, the millennial reign is going to be something that is just and something that is pure, something that is holy, because it's of God. And uh, we get to experience all of this. So bear with us. We've, not, uh, made it, we've only made it about a third of the way, really, through uh, Revelation 20. I'll try to finish up next Wednesday. I don't want to go so fast that we miss some things, because chapter 20 has got a lot in it. Uh, a lot of things to learn from it, um, things that we need to know and look forward to. And then there are some vital, vital lessons that we'll get into next week that apply to us today. And please don't miss next week. I, I really want you to be here if there's any way possible. Um, the only way I'll, I'll be okay if you are not here uh, is if the rapture happens between now and then. Uh, if there are anybody that's left here, y'all can still meet, but I'm not going to be here, okay? <laughs> um, we'll just let the Lord teach us these things, and uh, He'll do a far better job of it than we will. Uh, I don't know about you, as I'm reading these last few chapters and studying and getting back into them again after a while, uh, I, I've just gotten so excited. I, I'm, I'm anticipating the time that we get to be under the rule of God. And we don't have to be frustrated with 
the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the Independent Party or the the Tea Party or whoever else it is. We don't have to be frustrated with other people who don't see things our way scripturally. We will have the truth, and it will be clear, and we will understand it once and for all. Isn't it going to be wonderful when we come to each other's houses during that time to sit in fellowship and not have to have any differences in what we believe? And if we do, we just say, you know what, hey, let's go up to the mountain and let's, let's hear what God has to say about it. I, I want to hear the Lord Jesus Christ tell us what He means by that. Isn't that going to be amazing? I don't know about you, I'm excited about it. Ready for it to happen, amen? I'm ready for it to happen. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. Father, we're so thankful for the Word that You've given to us to help us to know these things. I do pray that this week as we ponder and think on what we've been taught even just tonight, that it will help us, that it will cheer our hearts, it will strengthen our faith. And then, Lord, prepare us as we look to next week. And if you uh, do not come back between now and then,